Good morning. Thank you. I love hearing my name. I think everybody does. If we're meeting for the first time, though, this morning, my name is Anne. If you didn't already ascertain that from those wonderful greetings. And I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. And these ushers are here to um, receive offerings if you like to give in that way. And we always want to say thank you for your giving. It helps us make a difference in God's big world here, near, and far. But, you know, together in this new series, this third week of our series called The Dangerous Act of Loving Your Neighbor, we are learning how to love God and love people together as a community. And today, I get to talk about naming. So in light of that, I would like you to take a look at this video. Can you pronounce the name of this town? This UK weatherman can. In two days, this YouTube video of Liam Dutton pronouncing the name of the Welsh town on air has gotten over 7 million views. In English, the name translates to the Church of Mary in the hollow of the white hazel near the fierce whirlpool in the Church of Cilio by the Red Cave. It's said that the name was contrived in the 1860s by a local tailor or cobbler, so the town's railway station could boast the longest name in Britain. But this isn't the first time the name has appeared in pop culture. In the 1962 film The Road to Hong Kong, Peter Sellers plays a doctor who asked Bob Hope to Open your mouth, please, and say, Clan Vibe with King Gifford, Gareth Windrop with Clan the City of Gogogogog. In 1968's film Barbarella, the name was used as the password to Gildano's headquarters. And in March, actress Naomi Watts, who actually lived in the village with her grandparents, tried to teach late night TV host Jimmy Kimmel how to pronounce the word. The L's are not L's, they're No, no, no. <laughs> well, uh, thankfully, names are usually not that hard. They're not in the same category of difficulty as the name of this Welsh town. Um, I don't know anybody for a name change for Evergreen. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to make one that long, that's for sure. But I would like to see a show of hands. How many of you have ever butchered somebody's name? Yeah, names don't have to follow the rules, right? Uh, so it's easy to get them mixed up. But how many of you would be a little, even a step bolder, show of hands, how many of you have said, called someone a name that's derogatory, either to their face or to yourself under your breath? Yeah, the hands aren't as high this time, you guys. <laughs> and we, we hate to admit that, but my, my hand is held high with you. When I was in the third grade, um, I had moved to Sweet Home, and I had moved there in spring, what you'd call spring term. So I just had a few months there, and I met two girls in the neighborhood who became friends, and they were in my class at school. Well, the two of them... Um, were not moved on to fourth grade. That used to happen more commonly. So they were not moved on to fourth grade. They had to repeat third grade, whereas I moved on to fourth grade. So the next year in fourth grade, I, I knew that their, my friends felt bad about this, but they started calling me in fourth grade Bucky Beaver because my two front teeth protruded. And that hurt my feelings. And like any good fourth grader, I uh, thought about what could I say that would really hurt their feelings. And um, I came up with it because I called them flunkers. Mm-hmm. I, I, silence. I am not proud of that moment. And, it, it, of course, it stayed in my mind. Um, yes, we apologize to each other. 
the three of us, but the wound from that name calling, which is a form of misnaming, was already, um, was already inflicted. You know, we have that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones. How does that finish? But words will never hurt me, which is a lie, friends. That's a lie. Instead, I want to say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will hurt me and they will hurt you. And misnaming people will hurt you and it will hurt other people. And they affect how we can love each other. And that's why it's so important to talk about this naming thing. It affects how we love so when we say yes to Jesus, we've been talking about this for three weeks, our new address becomes in Christ. And the, the dangerous act of loving our neighbor is all about recalibrating our lives around that new identity that we receive when we say yes to Jesus. Because our new address in Christ changes the way we see, the way we name, and the way we act toward others. But how many of you know that that is a glory-to-glory -glory process? meaning that we get better and better. We don't just go to a, from A to Z. So Jared unpacked how our new address offers us transformation by our minds being renewed. And this new identity that we have challenges each of us to make the they, whoever they is in our life, a part of our we. And he did this wonderful picture here first that all of us start like this with me at the center and then we expand that circle to we and then when we say yes to God he's there but we still often have a they out there a group of people that are the other a group of people that are less than a group of people that aren't as exciting for us to associate with the they but what we want to do is bring them in Side that circle. But in Christ, when we're in our new identity, the they becomes part of the, the we. And there is no longer any line for the they. So that's what Jared talked to us about. And then last week, Ilsean took it the next step. She challenged us to be honest with God about the creative filters and the lenses that we use to see other people and to let him heal the way we see people until we can see them clearly. That is to see them as Jesus sees them, to see them through the lens of the kingdom and to see others the way Jesus wants us to. So as we think about talking about this naming and misnaming, I want to identify something. Um, I've been marinating in this for three weeks. And, and what I've come to discover is I'm standing up here in front of you, but I'm in two places at once today. I'm standing up here in front of you, and I'm seated out there among you. Because God is speaking to me. It's a we thing. This naming and misnaming. I'm not coming as the expert as the perfect one, as you already know from my story, and there's more. But I think that's so important for us to know. So as we talk about naming and misnaming people, it really is the result of how we see people. So if you didn't hear last week's message, I strongly encourage you to listen to that because it's all linked together. And Mark Laberton, who wrote the book, The Dangerous Act of Loving Your Neighbor, made this comment, naming is one of the most common and profound expressions of human power that there is in the world. Naming is powerful because when we name others, we describe reality as we see it. 
when I attach a name to somebody. I'm describing reality as I see it. And that's a powerful thing. So 10 years ago, I took a history of the Holocaust class. And for one of our classes, um, our professor had a, a local resident, Alter Wiener, who is a survivor of the Holocaust. Holocaust. He actually uh, perished in a um, pedestrian accident at the age of 99 a couple years ago. But I got to hear him and talk with him. And um, he wrote a book about his experiences called From a Name to a Number. A very good book. Um, like all books written by survivors, very moving. But at age 15, two years after his father was killed at the hands of the Nazis, Alter was sent to his first forced labor camp, and he went on to survive five labor camps until he was liberated in May 9th of 1945. He and other survivors were liberated by the Russian army. At the time he was liberated, he was 80 pounds of skin and bones. But what's interesting is to read about his arrival to the camp. This is what he wrote. Upon arrival, we were ordered to take off all our clothes. Demonic characters stripped us of everything we possessed, including our dignity. I was given a shirt, a crude prison uniform with blue stripes, and a round striped cap, an overcoat, and a pair of wooden clogs. We got neither underwear nor socks. There were no pockets in our uniforms. You know why this is, right? No pockets, no socks, no underwear. Nothing to tuck anything into. Nothing to possess on your person. He said, we were left without any personal possessions other than a shallow metallic bowl and a spoon. And at that juncture, he said, my first and my last name were replaced by a number. 64735. It was attached to my cap, to my jacket, to my overcoat, and to his arm. I became nameless and faceless because there were no mirrors. After his release on May 9th, a kind German woman, Frau Merkel, from the village nearby, came and found he and the other skeletons. And he said she brought sandwiches to me and the other skeletons. And when she wanted to know my first name, I said, Alter. He said, I pondered how sweet it was that I should no longer be nameless. Names matter. Names are an acknowledgement of our identity. They're an acknowledgement of our presence in the world. I am here. And even more than that, they are a title over our whole story, over all of who we are. And God spoke the world into existence with names. He said, let there be light, and there was light. His first assignment for humanity, for mankind, that he gave to Adam was to name all of the creatures. We see God also renaming people prophetically, periodically through the scriptures. Now, when God um, named people, he brought people closer to him with the name rather than creating distance. Even this prophetic renaming brought people closer. But it also spoke to who they were going to be and a better future. It related to their true identity, even if the person couldn't see it yet. So you have Abram, 
a name which means father is exalted or father is great, changed to Abraham, the father of a multitude or the father of many, as some say. Speaking about who he was going to become when he hadn't even given birth to the child of promise. This name change. God speaking about what he was to become. And you have Jesus, who renamed Simon, whose name means snub-nosed, not a name you'd mind being changed, I guess, to Cephas, um, which is Peter, which means a rock or a stone, and which spoke to his role and his future in the early church, but also it spoke beyond what was going to happen in about three years from that time. Jesus gave him this name when he first met him, even though he knew that three years in advance, moving forward, he was going to deny him three times. He was going to disown him three times. But still, he could speak prophetically because beyond that, he knew that Peter was going to return to him, that Peter was going to stick with him, that Peter was going to be forgiven and return stronger than ever. And he spoke to that even that far in advance. And that's how God's renaming happens. That's what it does. That's the impact it has on our lives. And that's what we're invited to today as we look at the problem we have with misnaming and consider how we could move forward with Jesus in a better way. Because we have a problem that keeps us from loving others. So misnaming does the opposite of what God's naming does. God, God's naming always brings people near and speaks to their true identity. But misnaming does the opposite. When we misname people, we exclude them. We put them down. We tell them they're less than. We distance them. We dismiss them. And in some cases, we even dehumanize them, depending on the names that we've given them. And we create a they outside of the we. So we have this problem of speaking in a way that misnames other people. And it's always out of our old identity, not our new identity in Christ. It, it's meant to make room for more relationship with the other person. We need to name people out of that new identity to acknowledge and affirm people's identity and worth. That's what real naming has to do with. When we name people out of our old address, we name them out of their behaviors, out of their appearances, out of their race, out of their socioeconomic status, out of their sexual orientation, out of their gender. When we do that, we perpetuate lies. We perpetuate the lies we tell ourselves. We perpetuate the lies that our culture has said. We perpetuate the lies of the enemy whose whispers in people's ears all the time things that are not true about their identity, things that violate that in Christ identity. He is the father of lies, and lying is his native language. And so each one of us is prone to listen to and perpetuate the lies of the enemy that are whispered to us and ignore what God has said about people, what God has said about us. And in that, we end up misrepresenting people's identities and depreciating their true value. Name Calling is one form of misnaming. And we all talked about experiencing that. But it is an attempt to control how other people see those people. Isn't that what I did to my friends, calling them flunkers in front of other people? An attempt to control how other people saw them. 
And this is how stigmas get attached to people, fat, stupid, crazy. We could go on with a long list. We are creating, we are contributing to the isms of the world that create a group of people that exists outside of the we. Racism, sexism, classism, ageism, and all other isms. This is the root of injustice, which is the opposite of love. And this is what we want to change in our own experience as we name people as Jesus does. So James writes about this problem in James 3, verses 9 through 12. He says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh and water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And when I hear James saying these words to the Christians that he was writing to, if he'd been reading the letter out loud uh, to them, I hear him pleading with them. My brothers and sisters, this should not be that out of the same mouth come cursing and blessing against human beings who've been made in God's image, and then giving him these wonderful juxtapositions of two things and saying, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, really getting them to hear it. First century and everyone before them or since then has had this problem. They share it with us, this misnaming, this name-calling. Let's just review a few of the names that we see in the New Testament that had this impact Unclean, harlot, sinners, tax collectors, gluttons, beggars, Samaritans, Gentile dogs, drunkards, and leopards. You notice something about those words? Those words are all one-dimensional. Describing a person, a little slice, as though that was the whole of the person. And our misnaming, what do we do in 2019, 2020? What are some popular names? And I'm talking about from little children up. Let me just mention a few. Fat, crybaby, stupid, ugly, freak, bitch, weirdo, spaz, loser, shorty, klutz, dweeb, and much, much more. And I can hear James saying, these things should not be. These things should not be. An Oklahoma admissions counselor for an Oklahoma Christian college um, went to visit a preparatory school, Harding Preparatory School, high school in Oklahoma City. And um, he was a new hire, and he went there on a recruitment trip to convince kids to come to the school. Well, he had an assembly, and without explaining um, what he was doing, he had the kids line up according to their skin color from darkest to lightest. Then he asked him to make two lines, those with the nappiest hair in the back, those with the straightest hair in the front line. Meanwhile, chaos and confusion is breaking out in this group of assembled students. Some are crying. Some are disgusted. Some get up and walk out and refuse to participate. 
He led an activity that misnamed the students based on appearances and racism and created division. The result was confusion and discomfort and tears and disgust. And definitely, do you think they felt closer to him or distanced from him? It was distanced as even the teachers walked out. We'd like to say that that's them. How could he do such a thing? But we do that as well in some of our conversations. So we want to ask, what can we do? How can we change the way we name people? And let's see how God wants to help us. I'm going to read from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I know that we've talked about that, our minds being transformed, as Jared talked about our new address and, our, uh, and Ilse and about our lenses. But I want to focus on the first part of that verse because in order to get to that transformed mind, there is a surrender that has to happen. A surrender of my life to Jesus, the name that's above every name, and to the, letting God be God in every part of my life, including how I name others, how I view others, how I speak to others, the names I'm willing to call other people and let him get, have the final word on how I speak to them. It's letting his name, his authority be the final authority. We are commanded and called to love God with all we've got and love our neighbors as ourselves. But this means letting what God is saying about the other person be what I say about the other person. It's getting a person's name right has everything to do with aligning them with what God says about them. Aligning with God's name for him or her. And because of that, I wanted to just review with you four things that God has said about every person on planet earth, about all of humanity, his view toward them, what he says about them. Number one, every person is a masterpiece created in God's image. Every person on planet earth. Here's how he said it, Genesis 1, 27. He said, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he goes on in Ephesians 2, 10 to say, for we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his poema is the word, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, just reminding us that every person I encounter, every person you're going to encounter this week is created in God's image and his masterpiece. Secondly, every person is dearly loved by God without partiality. That without partiality part is amazing, by the way. We're not as good at that. John 3.16, I know you know this, but I want you to let it sink in. For God so loved the who? The world, for God so loved the world, it's done, signed, delivered. He isn't debating it. He isn't questioning it. It's not up for question. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his great love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves 
every person on planet Earth without partiality. So Bo Stern, who's going to be here in a few weeks on Palm Sunday, she sent me this card. And I feel like it's a, it's a paraphrase of Romans 5.8. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to close your eyes because I believe God wants to sink this in, not just for how you see others, but your, your own life. He wants you to know this today. So if you'd close your eyes while I read this to you. You are loved whole. You are loved broken. You are loved in a million pieces. You are loved in the in-between. Always, forever, infinitely. And to that, God, we say thank you for that kind of love. It's so important that we grasp that every person is loved by God without partiality. The third thing that is true for all of humanity is that every person is wanted by God. It's one thing to be loved, and it's another thing to be wanted. Don't you want to be wanted by the people that you love in your life? Yeah. God also wants us. 2 Peter 3.9, this is how he expressed it. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, and the promise there is for his return to come for all those who know him. As some understand slowness, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, this is something with my dad when I was believing for him to get saved. This was something that I just stood on. God wants my dad to know him more than I do. God wants him wants him right now. Every person that you're going to encounter this week is wanted by God in the most positive way. Fourthly, every person is sought out or sought after, whichever way you want to, to say it, by God. Every person is sought out, out or sought after. And Luke 15 tells the story of three lost things. There's the lost sheep, there's the lost coin, and there's the lost son. And the thing is, all three of these are depictions of how God views the lost person, the person who is broken in a million pieces, the person who has not said yes to Jesus. They're in that picture. And he'll leave the 99 who are safely in his fold and go after that one. All of these stories have the same thing in common. When they figure out that someone's lost, they go after it with all they've got. They stop everything else they're doing. They give it their full attention and search hard for them. I don't think God could tell any stories to tell us more that he is looking and waiting for every person. More than we are. Those four truths should influence everything that we name others. A problem with misnaming is a problem in our relationship with Jesus. We forget who we are and who others are, and instead we, we let our culture's mindset and the enemy's fatalistic lies, and I say fatalistic because his lies always end in death. His lies always speak of destruction. His lies always put down. His lies always make people a nothing. The opposite of God's truth. And so, it's easy for us to forget or refuse to engage God in our renaming of people. But the truth is, you know, that every time we gather, like this morning, any other gathering you come to, people walk in the room having been misnamed that week. 
In fact, sometimes we walk in wearing that identity more than our identity in Christ. The bad parent identity. Ever walk in with that one? Felt like you just messed up? Maybe it's the, the identity of laziness. Somebody's called you lazy. They caught you at a moment and don't even know the story, but they determined that. Maybe it's a burden. That's the thing you feel like you are. Somebody's made you feel like you're a burden. Maybe it's messy. Maybe it's slow. Maybe it's sloppy. I don't know what the name is that you walk in with. But most of us have been misnamed by someone in our life, if not our weak. And we need to remind ourselves who we really are. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. So if I don't know what God's saying about me, I'm, I will have difficulty loving my neighbor and naming them correctly because naming ourselves correctly is essential to naming others. So on Easter, we're going to baptize a bunch of people, and baptism is a public declaration of our new identity and our new names. And we are saying publicly to everyone who's sitting out here, I am in Christ now. That's my new address. And not only that, there's a truth that's attached to that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that to us in Romans 8.1. But it is the truth that we rise up out of that baptism with. My old life has been buried like Christ was put in the tomb. And my new life has started in Christ as I come up out of the water. And it's, so it's this whole picture of my new address. And it's an address where there is no condemnation because now I am forgiven, past, present, and future. And I'm walking in that. But there's something else that's essential there. It's that we are new creations. Literally, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17 says this. So from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one from a worldly point of view. That no one would include us. That no one includes the people we're going to encounter. And it goes on to say this. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. Is that exciting? Is that awesome? That's why baptisms are like one of our favorite things because it's a picture of what's true for all of us. And I hope as we have baptisms on Easter that you are reminded that you're a new creation and so are the people you're going to encounter. Can They have that possibility. This means that we let go of the cultural and social names for others and we embrace God's names. For every person, regardless of their race or their gender or their socioeconomic status or their sexual behavior. So let's review those four things that are true for all of humanity. And there's many more we could have covered, but these four. That every person is a masterpiece created in God's image. That every person is dearly loved by God without partiality. That every person is wanted by God and that every person is being sought by God, chased down by God as we sing in some of our songs. So as Jesus' followers, out of our new identity, we extend the same mercy to others that we have received from Christ himself. We live into our name 
our new name, and we help others to do the same, to make their way towards theirs. So a couple of years ago, um, Marley gave me this gift. It sits on my desk in my office right in front of me, you know, it's kind of straight ahead on my desk. It's got a little organ thing. I think it's a shot glass, which is kind of fun in itself, if you think about it. Um, and in it are all these little slips of paper, and um, she wrote on it, uh, things that I am for me. So this one says, more and more like Jesus, the best. See, I struggle with that one. Okay. Um, eyes wide open, accepting, discerning. And the list goes on. There's just a ton of these little slips. And I keep this on my desk and have for these several years because, oh, probably every couple weeks, I dip into the cup. I read through some of these. It's amazing what you feel like when you finish reading those affirmations of my true identity. That's what we're talking about when naming. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult. It's just being able to call people and call people out to the things that they really are, that are true about them. That's what naming is all about, to acknowledge and affirm each other's true identity and to draw them near. Do you think I feel closer to Marley after I finish reading that or further away? Close, right? That's what real naming, what proper naming really does. That's what God's naming of us does. Maybe a few weeks ago you were here for Lydia's message and uh, you heard her rename a group of people um, it was going to be an old uh, group of people or people that are old, uh, but instead she called them wise sages. Did you catch that? Okay, one of the things I want, I bring this up is because many misnamings are one-dimensional. And there's nothing wrong with old, but it is a one-dimensional name. Describes very little about a person, who they are, their identity. It's an age, right? It's a physical characteristic. They've lived on planet Earth. But wise sages, think about that one. That describes a group of people who may have a contribution to make. That describes a word that includes and doesn't segregate. So a mom, upon hearing that she was bringing her child to a new church, to a kid's ministry, and she brought her child to this kid's ministry and she was used to having to always be with him because her son had special needs. He was five years old. And when she came and brought him, the teacher met her at the door. One of the teachers was a guy named Travis. And she said, you know, do I have to stay with him? And he, was asking, and he put his hand on her arm and he said, it's okay. He's loved and accepted here. You don't need to stay. And she said, in that moment... I felt the presence of Jesus more, more clearly than I had ever felt it. Because in that moment, I heard somebody call my son something other than a problem. And then she goes on to admit that she too had been treating him like he was a problem. That was the name over her son. And she was so moved. She said, I have to admit that I even approached my son this way, but Travis, his new teacher, did not. He named him loved and accepted and got rid of the misnaming of problem by his mom and others, and that made all the difference. 
So a few weeks ago when I taught on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we spent some time sharing a few of those gifts. And one of the words that was shared here in the 915 service was this word from the Lord that said, we need to do better. We, the Evergreen community, we need to do better at addressing, uh, considering the needs and the treatment of people with disabilities and with special needs. And so I talked this over, we talked this over as a team, and we decided that we'd have a listening session, which we have set up for a few weeks from now, so we can hear what our blind spots are, so we can see where we've misnamed unintentionally, but still misnaming. They'll help us discover that. But one of the women in the group sent me a podcast of a, a teaching by a woman, Sharon, uh, Shannon Tate, who wrote a book, The View from the Bottom. She developed this disease that put her in a wheelchair um, partway through her young life. And um, in that, I wanted to share one example because what I learned from listening to this is that there is not just with words that we misname people, but we sometimes create environments that misname people, that express a they to other people. And uh, so I listened to her talk about ableism in the church. And this is what struck me. She said, you know, um, a lot of churches um, have stages, and they don't have any access to their stages for disabled people. And, um, you know, our surge stage doesn't, this stage doesn't, our center stage doesn't. There is no visible access. Yes, we could pull a temporary ramp out here, right? But they wouldn't see it until the day it was needed. And she said, what that says to us is that we can be ministered to, but we cannot minister to you. So you can be the ministers, and we can be the ministered to. Are you seeing? I told you I've been marinating in this for three weeks. So she wrote on, and I wrote back and thanked her for the podcast and you know, said that we were going to be looking at all of these things. There's... I'm sure there's many more things that we are blind to that we will learn. But in that moment, I realized we have an environmental sign that says excluded from coming here. And when I wrote back to her to thank her, she sent me a note and said, uh, she said the, the straw that broke the camel's back was seeing Lori Dickerson, our minister from Uganda, our, our missionary there, try to make her way to the stage with her need for a knee replacement, excluded. There's so much more that we can learn in the coming weeks and months about how we can dangerously love one another. That dangerous word, what is that referring to? The dangerous word has to do with what it'll cost us. And first and foremost, what it costs us is our surrender to God and letting him have the final word about how we name a person, seeing them through his eyes. But it also means that we might have to do some things that cost a lot for a few people. Another thing that she pointed out is the excuse churches give for not having access. So I'd like you to take a look at this video, it actually comes from the Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary that Ilsean uh, took a scene from last week. Honestly, if you want to learn about dangerously loving your neighbor, watch the video. We were worried Jeff was going to have a spinal fusion and be in a, a 
they call a halo, uh, metal rim, and then cast on his shoulders and bolted all all the way down his trunk. Yeah, we went to survive the surgery, and so we said, you know, what would you like to do? Uh, This is going to be a really big task for you, and so we want to kick it off with something that would be really special. Mr. Rogers. Hey, Jeff. (laughs) I'm glad to see you. Thank you very much for coming by. Can you tell my friends what it is that made you need this wheelchair? Sure. Well, when I was about seven months old, I had um, I had a tumor, and it broke the nerves to tell my hands and legs what to do. I see. And... I got a wheelchair when I was four years old. That was your first one mm-hmm. when you were four. Uh-huh. He told Jeff before they started that they would have a chat and then sing a song together. I think he said we might sing a song. Yeah. I remember because yeah. I mean I was sort of surprised. What he's gonna start singing a song with you know, there's just totally not even what song. <laughs> it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you. Not your fancy chair, (laughs) that's just beside you. But it's you I like. be times when you do feel blue. Uh-huh. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came today. Thanks. I remember asking one of the, one of the staff people that was there, well, you know, what do you think? Did it go okay? So, Don't. This is good. This is good. He had his surgery. He survived. Certainly, Mr. Rogers had an impact on who Jeff became, his sense of self. And that's what naming does. It reinforces a sense of self. And we want that self to be identified by Jesus, the identity that Jesus has for him. So my they moment this past week, there was more than one, but I'm going to share one with you. Um, Maybe you noticed that uh, we have a a person that... uh, brings a bus that's been modified it's all black and it's got a it's pulling a trailer and it's got stuff hanging off of it it's a very creative home apparatus um it's a, it's parked real close to our home now um uh, we noticed it on our way into church but he was here he comes early for the food bank and parked it but when i came in tuesday morning it was 
his home was still there. And um, I drove by it, but I'm going to tell you the first two things that came to my mind. The first two things were, why is he here and when is he going to leave? So when I got in the building and I came upon Brian, who was in the lobby, I said, I asked Brian that. Why is he here and when is he going to leave? No, what's his story? Who is he? You see, I had given him a name. Oh, I didn't speak it out loud. Not even under my breath. I'd given him several names. Nuisance. That's one of them. Outsider. Unimportant. Something, someone to be swept aside. That's what we're talking about, friends. Do we want to be that person? Or do we want to be the person who, like Jesus, gave people new names and spoke into existence what they were going to become? Seeing in every person the potential that God sees, the handiwork that he's made. That's his invitation. I told you I'm sitting with you today, not just standing in front of you. So you got three labels when you came in, and this is homework assignment. It's for you to take and prayerfully consider what is some naming that you've done this week, some misnaming. What are some common misnames that you have? But it's better if you think of specific instances with the Holy Spirit's help. And then prayerfully considering with Jesus, what's he saying about that person? Out of their Jesus identity, how could I rename them? And what will I do to speak that into their world, into their life? That's what he's inviting us to. But I'm going to invite you to do that as you go home. But right now is a moment to come back to the thing that's at the heart of all of this. It's our relationship with Jesus. It's our understanding of who he says we are. And how he speaks to other people. And letting God have the final word about the people in our lives. So we want to take a moment and sing this song, Make Room. And truly let God make room in our hearts to be bigger people. To name people the way he does. And this week, it's my prayer that we will be able to do that together with the Holy Spirit's help and become a community that dangerously loves every neighbor that we have. Let's sing and then I'll come back up and pray. I hope that one of the things that you caught is that naming isn't just about those people that are out there on the fringes of our life, but it's about the people nearest and dearest to us as well. And when I uh, was praying for my dad to get saved, I, it was a lot of years of praying. And I, was, I took a flight, and it took me up over the mountains in winter, and it was very snow-laden, and there were lakes. And you know, when you get up in the airplane, you can see things that you can't. Well, this 
one lake. I was thinking when you stand next to a lake and it's starting to thaw, you can't see it because you can't see the center. You can't see the ice thinning out, the water starting to bubble in the middle. But when I was up in the plain, I saw a, a lake like that where the center was thawing. And the Lord just spoke to me and he said, your dad is thawing. He's nearer than you think. This is why it's so important that we not name people according to what we're seeing in the moment. That instead, we think about what they're going to be and we speak into that for them. And I just believe that God wants us to do that for the people in our family, for the people in our extended family, for the neighbors, the coworkers, the friends, that we could be those people. And I wrote these words to the Lord when I saw that what I could be, what he could be, I cannot see until you lift me up to look with thee. That's why we were surrendering to him. He's the only one who could show us the potential in every person. So let's invite him to do that this week. Jesus, we welcome you to show us this week as we just encounter person after person. Lord, those nearest and dearest to us, to those out on the fringes of our life, only on the fringe because we only see them occasionally, Lord. But every person matters to you. The clerk in the store, the professional whose services that were um, being received uh, this week, Lord. The the neighbor we're talking to out by the garbage cans, Lord. Um, Just every person, would you give us eyes to see what you're up to? Would you help us to see the thaw that's happening with your love? If we'll just be a part of that, Lord help us to do that this week by your spirit nudge us at every point in jesus name amen